Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest. And we're back today with bringing you Weekly Roundup number 14. Uh, today is September 18th. And like always, we have a ton of news to get to. We're going to be talking about, of course, a little bit of COVID. We'll have some news, some political news for you, and also some local news that might be interesting. And so, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. So our first story, we're going to go down to... Uh, the sunny state of Florida and its governor, Ron DeSantis. Uh, we talked about this, I think, last year, Adrian. Um, but Florida had recently tried to pass a law that was kind of an, an anti-riot. Well, no, not a kind of. It was an anti-riot law. Um, but it looks like a federal justice actually issued a preliminary injunction that's going to block the enforcement of this law uh, that was enacted by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And this was after several uh, justice, social justice organizations like the NAACP and Dream Defenders challenged this law in, in district court, and they maintain that it quells free speech and the right to peacefully assemble as guaranteed by the U.S. Constitution. So just to give you a reason why this thing was actually um, stopped from being enforced, one example <laughs> that the DeSantis lawyers pointed to in their contention that Black Floridians were continuing to freely exercise their protest rights was a Facebook post with a flyer announcing a Juneteenth celebration by an organization called Chainless Change. And so um, according to a report from Reuters, um, the judge uh, Walker wrote that the Republican governor and his attorneys made an embarrassing mistake when they conflated a community celebration of a federal holiday commemorating the end of slavery with the protest. And so this new legislation would have created uh, new felonies for those arrested in violent protests and would have allowed those arrested to be held without bond. So at least right now, for the time for the time being, it's not going to be enforceable. Um, so some good news, at least there, Adrian, out of uh, Florida. Yeah, um, I, I just don't know what's wrong with some of these people. Um, they just they're just I, I think everybody's just ready to just jump up on black people and just <laughs> any sort of opportunity where they think that we're out of control, uh, but they just mistake it. We're just you know celebrating. Uh, this listeners, <laughs> uh, this listeners is some interesting news here. This is out of Chicago. Um, when I saw this, I was like, better not. We got to talk about this for sure. Uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot she introduced an ordinance on Tuesday which gives the city the ability to sue Chicago gangs and hold them accountable for violence in the area. The mayor wants Chicago to be able to seize guns, cars, jewelry, and money from gangs, according to Fox 32 Chicago. Uh, she says what we're proposing is a tool in civil courts that gives us the opportunity to go after those gangs that are wreaking havoc in one particular area. Uh, they're taking away the profit motive from them by seizing the assets that they have been able to purchase because of their violent acts in our neighborhoods. Like I said, this is according to Fox 32. The ordinance needs to pass uh, by the city council vote uh, before it goes into effect. But um, I don't know if, if I were on the city council in Chicago, I don't know why you, you wouldn't vote for something like this, Devin. Um, I, I get where she's coming from uh, with trying to hold them accountable because, I mean, you can't tell them to stop. I mean, you have more policing, um, you have gun reform, you have all these different bits and pieces. Um, you try to, you know, clean up the streets, try to, you know, make the communities better with, you know, better housing, better schools, 
But if gangs don't want to just vibe with the culture and the community getting better, um, the only way is to do something where you can hold them accountable because you can't just levy taxes on them. So uh, I think it's an interesting approach to say that, um, you know, you're going to be suing them now. Yeah, I mean, we know in this country, at least money talks. And so when you start to get money involved, things start to happen. So when you, you know, she's going at the heart of gangs and their profits by trying to seize the guns, weapons, cars, jewelry, whatever. Um, Like you say, it's a different approach that we haven't necessarily seen before. And it could be productive, you know, and maybe curbing some of the, the gang violence that we see in our neighborhoods, especially in a place like Chicago, that we know gun violence is, is through the roof, at least, you know, at least during the pandemic. So, I mean, hey, you can try what you need to to try to curb the violence. And we know money is is what is what makes a difference. A lot of times when we're trying to get things changed when you go after people's money and their wealth and the assets that they have, you know, profited and, and uh, stacked up. That's when things start to change. People, you know, start seeing a different tune. Yeah, my, I think you know, my thought is, you know, Who's who's gonna issue? Who's gonna like you know uh, issue uh, these subpoenas and different things to the gang members? Or are they got? I'm just wondering like you know how's this gonna you know work? Who's gonna go in and represent the gangs? Because I fight these these <laughs> gang members you know aren't one that probably want to be in court. Well, Well, I mean, you know, you got to think, I I know it's not real life, but if you look at a show like Power or some of these other crime shows, they are always represented by somebody. There's a lawyer somewhere in the city of Chicago that will represent, you know, whatever gang needs representation. Because again, when the money's there, people, people will get the moving. So a gang comes up to you with a suitcase full of cash saying, hey, we need, we need you in court on Tuesday. Guess what you're going to be? in court on Tuesday to represent them. So uh, it's it's funny, like you say, they're not like an official organization. They're not like an LLC or something, you know, so it's like you're serving a loosely connected organization. Um, but I'm, trust me, they will have official representation. <laughs> you're right. Money talks. Yeah, it, it does. It, it does. So, but it, hey, but an interesting tactic, at least from Mayor Lightfoot, to try to try something else. I mean, at this point, what could it hurt? Um, but we'll move on from that story and we'll go down to the state of Texas. Um, and right now, we're having again, Adrian, just more issues at the border, more migrants coming over the border. Um, right now, the Biden administration is planning on what they call massive movements of Haitian uh, Haitian migrants in a small Texas border city. And they're going to move them on flights to Haiti starting on Sunday. Uh, and officials said this on Friday. And so right now there are thousands who have suddenly assembled under a bridge. And right now they are planning, like I say, return flights to Haiti are in effect. That's going to start um, actually on Monday instead of Sunday. And so just to give you an idea of how many people we're talking about, according to reports from the U.S. Border Patrol, there are more than 9,000 migrants, primarily from Haiti, who they've been affected by a series of natural disasters. They're being held in a temporary staging area in Del Rio, Texas. This temporary staging area is really underneath the bridge. Um, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has ordered the state police and the National Guard to assist the border agents. And uh, uh, Del Rio's mayor, uh, Bruno Lozano, also spoke out, commenting on the conditions of the migrants. He says... There's minimal access to clean water and food, and there are actually just a dozen portable toilets available. 
Um, so just a you know an, another sad situation playing out on the border with more migrants coming over this time, but from Haiti. This is what happens when you know there's um, unrest and upheaval within uh, other countries, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's our fault or their fault or whomever, and they don't have enough investment and help to kind of you know fix it, the issue because yeah. there's a lot of places where. Yeah, I know people say America needs to spend their money here in our borders, but when we don't spend our money in other countries, this is what happens. They come here, and then you've got people like Governor Abbott who don't want to help them out. Um, you know, I get it. You know, we can't have everybody crossing into our borders illegally and all that kind of stuff, but we've got to have a better global um, strategy with tackling this. Um, so we're going to take you from Texas up north uh, to New York here. Uh, New Yorkers, they're actually doing a cool thing here. Uh, New Yorkers will be able to avoid jail time for the, uh, for most non-violent parole violations under a new law that's signed uh, by the governor that signed on Friday. The law is called the Less is More Law, largely eliminates New York's practice of incarcerating people for technical parole violations including being late to an appointment with a parole officer, missing curfew, or failing to pay the fees, or to inform a parole officer of a change in employment. Starting in March, people on parole uh, will only be able to go behind bars for drug or alcohol use if they've been convicted of driving under the influence of those substances. Supporters of the law say that New York has one of the nation's highest rates of incarcerating people for technical parole violations and that the practice is costly and fuels a cycle of people landing behind bars again after serving their time. So a uh, really nice thing that's going to be happening there. Uh, hopefully, you know, we, we can have a lot of different opportunities to, you know, avoid any sort of, you know, uh, interaction with law enforcement where we have to get behind bars. But if there's a situation where we are behind bars and we're no longer incarcerated, we're formerly incarcerated, uh, it is nice to kind of have these sorts of things to kind of allow people a little bit of leverage so that as they make that transition to, you know, being, you know, formerly incarcerated uh, while they're in parole, um, they can have those sorts of, you know, opportunities. Because obviously, if you're late to an appointment, I mean, heck, you know, traffic, you know, could be bad. You know, <laughs> I, I missed the shuttle getting to work the other day. I was like, you may miss the shuttle trying to get to your parole office or something like that. So, um, there definitely should be a little bit of leniency on things like that. So kudos uh, uh, to New York governor there. Um, I guess this is one of the first uh, first things because Cuomo is not there anymore. This is true. That's the new governor there, Kathy Hochul. So this is one of one of the things she can, um, I guess, tie to her legacy that she did sign this bill. And absolutely, I think it's like you say, it's just kind of overkill for little things if you miss the shuttle or you miss the bus and you're there a few minutes late or even if it's 20 minutes is it really worth putting that person back in jail like we can we can do better and so that's a, it's a definitely a good step for um uh for new york and so we'll move on to our next discussion topic this time we're going to be talking about the death of rock and roll at the hands of president obama apparently so during a roundtable discussion on september 14th uh, on the September 14th episode, uh, Jeremy Boring and several other white guys declared that rock and roll is over. And they said, quote, you're still talking about rock and roll as if Barack Obama didn't happen. Honestly, it's for another day. Barack Obama 
destroyed rock and roll end quote and so it says here that rock and roll was about they they go on to say that rock and roll was about white male angst and white male teenage angst and he said barack obama came along and said young white men aren't allowed to have angst they're not allowed to basically express express their dissatisfaction because they're so toxic and then also michael knows who was on the show chimed in in agreement before boring continued there was rock and roll then there was barack obama now there is no rock and roll he claimed and this is uh being reported by the new york daily news so uh adrian interesting barack obama killing a whole music genre how about that <laughs> you know I, I i think it's interesting um i think the 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 deeper point of that about this whole idea of white angst um I think that's an interesting thing, you know, and, and Dev and I, we looked it up just to kind of make sure we had a good, solid, you know, foundation of what angst means, you know, uh, deep anxiety and dread. I'm just like, I mean, I, I get where he's maybe coming from, maybe because Barack Obama was the, the president that tried to flip the script to make America more about minorities and less about white America because, you know, white America already has a lot of opportunities. And maybe that's what they're talking about here. Um, you know, white male angst, white male teenage angst. I mean, it's, and I get how any, you know, person in America could have uh, anxiety and dread about the future. But I feel like when you're white and you're male, <laughs> you're in a special category where things, you know, often work out in your favor in America. So uh, I get where they're coming from, but, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you won't you won't find any sympathy with me. I'm sorry. Um, I'm I'm just not. I I get what you're saying about angst. I'm just not understanding how you're tying Barack Obama and rock and roll together. I don't know. Like, I maybe he said something during a press conference about white men and the angst they have or something. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how that connection is there. I get the white angst part. The country is changing. So, yes, there are some some white people in the country who are scared about what the future holds in a country that's not majority um, white, Anglo-Saxon. So I get that part, but I'm not quite sure putting that at the feet of the first black president makes sense to me. So maybe it does. to Obviously, it does to them, but. I don't know. You know, Obama, he, he was the uh, scapegoat for a lot of stuff for white people, you know. So yeah, that's true. He's got to be the one that even kill rock and roll somehow. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 he could put that on his list of accomplishments that he uh, killed rock and roll. Interesting. But, um, so we'll move on to our last story here. I think I one more minute here. But just to let you know that, you know, in the black business world, there are some great things happening. And it looks like um, Nyla, I think I'm hope I'm saying that right. Nyla Ellis Brown has made history with uh, her business now becoming the largest black uh, black woman owned beverage company um, in the country. So, uh, like I say, Nyla Ellis Brown is the founder of Ellis Infinity LLC. Uh, the Detroit-based maker of Ellis Island Tea, which is a line of naturally sweetened hibiscus tea beverages that were inspired by uh, Sorel, which is the traditional Jamaican drink. And so she actually got the recipe via her great-grandfather who entered America from Jamaica at Ellis Island, which, given her last name, was the perfect name for her product. And so she recalls that it was often shared at family events where her 
great grandpas brewed the brewed the actual drink and they had it at every table and so she actually has two products now ellis island tea and another one called wet sugar which are both now available in targets around the country in both sweet and unsweetened versions so she's trying to be healthy also so again just a shout out to her again her company is called ellis infinity if you want to go check it out uh her drinks are called uh ellis island tea and wet sugar, which is S H U G A, in case you were wondering what I'm saying. <laughs> so again, very very cool, largest black woman owned beverage company uh, in the country. So uh, that's a nice way to end our very first segment of news. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll give you a little bit of COVID news here, just to let you know. Nicki Minaj saying some crazy things on Twitter, um, and then we'll talk about uh, some apps and how people are using them too much and a California recall. So. Uh, Stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back here. Let's get into our second segment here. Uh, plenty of news to get into here, starting off with the FDA. I don't like to talk too much about COVID because we've been living it so long, but anytime we get a little bit of COVID news, we better let you know. Uh, but the FDA's federal panel stated that they don't approve a third booster shot of Pfizer and BioTech's COVID-19 vaccine for people who are 16 years and older, according to The Hill. The vote against the recommendation wasn't even close. It was about 16 to 2. The news comes at a time when President Biden had a strategy to give out the booster doses starting on September 20th. However, the FDA unanimously approved of giving Pfizer and BioNTech booster shots to those 65 years and older, according to the AP. So, um, you know, if you're older, you know, you obviously have a weaker, more compromised immune system. So a booster shot does make sense. Um, maybe we all do need a booster shot because we get a little sick. So I, I don't know, Devin. Hopefully, hopefully we're going to get out of this thing of COVID. Yeah, it doesn't look like anytime soon. I hate to be the <laughs> bearer of bad news, but, you know, we just hope at some point we'll get to the end, but it doesn't look like it's coming quickly. Um, but our next story is COVID related and you probably heard about it, but, um, rap star, music star, Nicki Minaj, um, tweeted over the weekend and looks like she has set off a firestorm here. And so uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci has gotten involved and he's the nation's top infectious disease expert. And he's had to debunk this tweet from her that suggested that the COVID-19 vaccine could cause reproductive issues. Um, She has over 22 million Twitter followers and she sparked this controversy on Monday um, for a series of tweets that she posted about the vaccine ahead of the Met Gala. And she actually posted another tweet. So what she actually said was um, she tweeted about her cousin's friend in Trinidad. She said, quote, she she tweeted about her cousin's friend in Trinidad who allegedly experienced impotency and also said that his uh, his balls had swelled after he got the COVID-19 vaccine. And then, of course, you say anything like that, it's going to set off a firestorm. And people were, everybody had an opinion. The White House stepped in and said, this is not true. The CDC stepped in, said, this is not true. Even health officials from Trinidad and Tobago had to step in and say, we do not have any proof that this is true. 
Um, in her Twitter thread, Minaj continued to assert that she was not su- opposed to the vaccine and would most likely get vaccinated when she had completed more research and was uh, was ready to go on tour. So interesting story there. Um, again, just be careful what you're looking at. Everybody has an opinion about the vaccine. Doesn't mean it's true just because it came from a music star like uh, Nicki Minaj. So interesting story there about COVID. That's our last one, though. <laughs> well, Devin, you know, it's probably our last COVID uh, little segment for the show, but I'm sure we're going to be talking about COVID probably for the rest of the year going into 2022, unfortunately. Uh, I'm sure whoever gets president in 2024 is still going to be talking about COVID uh, in their administration. So, uh, but we're going to move on. We're going to talk about phones and apps. I know that that's uh, been a big deal. iPhone just you know unveiled their new uh, what iPhone 13. Mm-hmm. Maybe me think about switching back over, Devin. Uh, but I, I just might. We'll see. Uh, but this article is about how I guess we're losing our youth uh, to apps and phones, which is very true. Because my niece is eight, and that's all you know she does is on my phone whenever she sees me. So this story is about uh, something else. So it says many of today's youth seem to be addicted to their phones and apps, such as TikTok and Instagram. The Wall Street Journal recently did an investigation of TikTok's algorithms trying to determine if the effect it has on some trying to determine the effect it has on some children what they found was staggering after setting up hundreds of accounts posing as 13 year olds they were able to view videos of sexual behavior drugs eating disorders and other clips that are impressionable upon children and they shouldn't be watching them what's worse many youth watch videos like these for hours each day China recently introduced a law that kids in China are banned from playing video games during weekdays and are limited to three hours on week weekends. Dang. It may be a <laughs> no, that's that's pretty tough. I, I can't imagine uh I mean I don't play a lot now, but you know, that's tough being able to like ban it from kids. How do you even monitor that? But obviously China's a little more draconian, but evidently they're trying to save their youth. Uh, while, it be, while it would be difficult in the United States, I mean, obviously, we can't even do a mask mandate. Let's know and tell people they don't play video games. Uh, uh, companies like Microsoft and Sony uh, could implement time limits into their consoles to ensure kids are not living their lives in video games. So that's an interesting thing, you know, because I, yeah. I can imagine, you know, Microsoft or Sony could, you know, shut down the, you know, uh, the their, uh, their online stores, you know, at certain hours, so that way you can't game online, different things like that. Um, that I, I can see that working. I don't, I don't see how it can work with you telling people, you know, you can't play video games but only two hours. Like, who's going to enforce? Are you going to have like a new police force that goes around the communities and making sure kids clock in, you know, two hours? But I definitely think if we had some sort of tie with the government and companies. <clears throat> Microsoft and Sony to say, hey, can y'all help us out? I think that, I mean, again, I don't think it'll work in America because people love their rights and liberties, but I think it's a cool concept. No, I think it is. Yeah, it's it is. it's pretty similar to how, you know, Apple introduced the feature where you could actually put a timer on how long you could use the app, an app per day. And like, once you hit the timer, it shuts the app off. Now, of course, you can... You can. Cl- I've done it before. You can click it where it says ignore the timer for 15 minutes or ignore it for the rest of the day. But at least it does try to say, okay, like you've hit your limit for the day. 
take a break kind of thing. And I could see that for an Xbox or PlayStation where you set a timer for how long you can play on end before it'll cut you off. Um, I think that's something that we need to look at for sure, because even and it's not just the youth. I mean, I think even there are a lot of adults, even older adults who are addicted, you know, to cell phones and tablets and computers and just we're constantly connected. And it's hard to disconnect. Even for me, it's hard to not pick up the phone every time a notification comes through. You know, it's just like, oh, what's going on? You don't want to get left out. And we're not saying it's all bad, but at least for children, there are things, of course, like what they were finding on TikTok that that they shouldn't be seeing and they're seeing it. And one thing that bothers me too, just I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I really just hate the fact that there are so many, I understand, you know, raising kids is tough, but I just despise the fact that we are now letting tablets and cell phones raise the kids now. We just give them a phone and let them go sit in a corner and watch YouTube endlessly. I just feel like that is not helping anybody. It's really a detriment to the kids. And I've seen that so much now where they'll just have the kids just carrying around a tablet all day. And that's all they do. They just sit there and watch videos. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Like they're having no interaction with any other human. They're just watching videos on, on repeat, just watching the same stuff. And I'm just like, we got to be, they're they're not being raised by us. They're being raised by the tablet. You know, like we got to, Think twice about what these, you know, the technology is good. It's cool. But we got to keep in mind what is it doing to us, too. You know, at the end of the day, we can't allow that to take over that because that's not real life. Even in some ways it may be. It's it's not. We have to tell the kids, hey, in moder- everything in moderation. That's That should be the, the thinking, I think. But I'm done with my tangent. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, absolutely. I think that that's. That's that's the kind of the thing here. It's technology improves our lives, but mm-hmm. if kids don't build social skills, uh, if if they're so invested that you know we sit down at dinner, you can't have a conversation. Yeah, I think that that's like um, not a big deal, but that translates to you not being able to have a decent interview, um, you not being able to conduct a board meeting or whatever. Um, you might be able to go to like an, an event and network with people to get, you know, funding for your uh, charity or whatever. Um, those skills, you know, they translate to other things. It's not just about, you know, being able to eat at the dinner table without a, a phone or whatever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we're starting to talk about this, Devin. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a larger conversation that needs to happen. And so uh, if you're watching, just, you know, may, you should start tracking how long you're on your phone. You would be surprised. <laughs> Um, I know I get shocked at how many notifications I get sent. iPhone, the iPhone will tell you that. Um, so definitely just check to try to scale it back if you can. But we'll move on from that, move off that topic and go to California, uh, where we finally have some results of two days, uh, Tuesday's recall election in California, in which uh, Governor Gavin Newsom defeated an attempt to remove him from office, uh, which look all too familiar to the state's enfeebled Republicans. They were embarrassed again by Democrats who haven't lost. This is pretty incredible. Democrats haven't lost a statewide race in California in 15 years. We're going almost two decades of them not losing a statewide race. And uh, with an estimated two thirds of the ballots counted, the no on the question of whether to recall Gavin Newsom was ahead by a 30 point margin. 
And that lead was built on votes cast by mail and in advance of Tuesday's in-person balloting with a strong showing by Democrats. Um, that lead is going to be unsurmountable pretty much at the polls. And so Gavin Newsom is not going to be recalled. He's not going to have to run against a Republican candidate to stay in office. He's going to remain governor of uh, California. So there you go. Yeah, Devin. I mean, that's, I I was kind of thinking that he would be able to kind of keep a spot there. Uh, It's good that he was able to kind of, you know, beat that because I think some of the Republicans who were going to, um, try to run against him weren't really qualified. I think there were some pretty radical people. Um, and you know, everybody was coming out of the closet to run, you know, for, for, for the governor's race. Now, other than that, we wanted to kind of, I think, wrap up this segment here with some Trump news here. Um, this is some stuff about uh, General uh, Milley here. Uh, President Biden on Wednesday threw his support behind top U.S. military officer Mark Milley. A uh, day after a new book said he went around he went around with civilian leaders to play secret calls to his Chinese counterpart over concerns about then-President Donald Trump. According to book excerpts, Milley secretly called the General of the People's Liberation Army twice in the final months of the Trump administration to say the U.S. government was stable. Milley reportedly told them that the United States was not going to attack China, and if there was going to be an attack, he would alert them ahead of time. According to the Washington Post, the book also said that Milley called senior officers to reveal the procedures for launching nuclear weapons and told them that while the president alone could give an order to use them, that General Milley had to be involved. So uh, that's some interesting stuff. You know, I think it just goes back, you know, further into the fact that Donald Trump was a child and he always needed people around him to double check and triple check the things that he said because they usually weren't right or going to be right or proceed in the correct way. Um, But, you know, listeners, unfortunately, like um, COVID, we can't get rid of Donald Trump. um, he's 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 going to be here, you know, in 2024 yeah. as well. So I think he's uh, ramping up to run. Uh, at least he's been talking about it. He's hired a bunch of staffers, but you know, in talking about Trump, I think it's interesting, Devin, because you know you got Mike Pence. I mean, I think he's. Uh, I saw an article today where he's hiring staffers because he's got an office in D.C. Um, and you got, you know, I think Mike Pompeo, you got, I think, Nikki Haley, I mean, you got all these Republicans who are, like, you know, itching to run for president, but, you know, a lot of people are still, you know, talking about Donald Trump. Yeah, we're going to, it's going to be like, what was that, 2016, when it was like 20-something Republican candidates? <laughs> I feel like it's going to be a repeat of that, where it's just everybody... And and their brother and sister and mama and grandma want to run for president um, because they think they can beat Joe Biden. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the story about Millie is, is interesting and in just how concerned he was, honestly, about Trump and about how he honestly felt as though we Trump was was unhinged after he lost that election. He wasn't quite sure what Trump might do. And so for him to take those steps of telling China, hey, we're we're st- we're stable. Like how many times do we have to tell other people, Hey, we're stable. The United States government is stable. We're not going to be launching attacks on people. Uh, it just goes to show you 
you know, just how serious the situation was with Trump after he lost. And there was real concern in the government that Trump might try to pull something to stay in office. We talked about it. I mean, the man told us he was going to contest the election results and people didn't believe him. (laughs) And he sent an insurrection to the Capitol. So, I mean, he's capable of pretty much anything. And so we're going to be dealing, like you say, he'll be back in 2024. And I think that's just going to be another, you know, chit show, (laughs) a repeat of what we saw. Um, And so hopefully he doesn't win, but we'll see. And who knows, maybe Biden will have to run again to keep him out. But uh, that's going to do it for our news section. So we're going to wrap up the, at least the news portion of the show. We're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll get into our quick hits here. Um, And so we got some good ones here, some interesting, interesting ones, you know, a lottery in Mexico, giving away El Chapo's house, the oldest person to, um, you know, still hauling lobsters, doing lobster trapping off the coast. And then um, something about Winnie the Pooh's cottage. We got some interesting news. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, Go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back listeners. So we're going to get into our quick hits here. So our very first one uh, is going to come from Maine. And so uh, this is a story about a 101 year old woman who is still hauling lobsters off the Maine coast. And so uh, her name is Virginia Oliver, and she started trapping lobster off the coast of Maine. Uh, w- <laughs> this was way back in World War II. That's when she started. Uh, and this was more than a decade in the future. Uh, the electronic traffic signal was a recent invention, and few women were harvesting lobsters when she started. And so nearly a century later, at 101, Miss Virginia Oliver is still trapping lobster off the coast of Maine. And so... Uh, she's she, the oldest lobster fisher in the state and possibly the oldest one in the world. Uh, she still faithfully tends to tends to her traps off Rockland, Maine with her 78 year old son. And so she's 101. Her son is 78. She started trapping lobsters at age eight. And these days she catches them using a boat that once belonged to her late husband and bears her own name, the Virginia. And so she said she has no intention on stopping. She's, uh, But she is concerned about the health of Maine's lobster population, which she said is subject to heavy fishing pressure uh, these days. And so she said, quote, I've done it all my life, so I might as well keep doing it. And so I think that's the attitude we should all do once you get to that age. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can you know, be 101 and still do stuff, you know, keep doing it, you know. Apparently, when you stop doing stuff, that's when your health starts to deteriorate. So kudos uh, to her for keeping on keeping on. Maybe we can podcast uh, to 100 of them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I plan, you know, I plan on fighting for justice until then. You know, if I'm still around, I'll, I'll do it. Um, so as Devin alluded to before the break, this is about Winnie the Pooh's cottage, or at least a cottage that's inspired by the home of Winnie the Pooh. Uh, they have it available in England, and this is to celebrate the character's 95th anniversary celebration. Uh, this is going to be a partnership between Disney and Airbnb. They're calling it Bear Cottage, 
Um, it's designed in uh, Ashton's Forest by Kim Raymond, an artist who has been drawing Pooh for 30 years. Visitors who rent the cottage will be treated to guided tours of the 100-acre wood and rounds of Pooh Sticks, a game played by dropping sticks from Pooh Sticks Bridge. The cottage is stocked with yoga mats, journals, and throw blankets to encourage visitors to embrace their natural surroundings and live more like Pooh, who is famous for going out on his own pace, the news station says. Single night stays for the cottage are going to be offered about $130 a night starting on Monday. House rules include keeping your hands out of the honey pots and a snack of a little something at 11 a.m. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, yeah, that's all you do. I guess it, it's it's not one of those things to where they're gonna have you know you think since it's the pairing of Disney that they'd have like some characters or something, yeah but it's I think you just get the cottage some yoga mats that's it interesting <laughs> keep your hands out the honey pots <laughs> okay <laughs> that's a fun interesting story we'll <laughs> we'll move on to uh, we'll go down south to Mexico. Uh, where the the house of former drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman uh, fled in 2014 uh, when Mexican Marines had surrounded him, um, underwent some changes recently as the Mexican government has prepared to give it away in a national lottery. We don't do that here in America. I don't think so. But the the Mexican government is giving away El Chapo's former house. Uh, it's a safe house, actually. Uh, the surveillance cameras that covered every angle of the home's in- exterior were removed and the hole under a bathtub that Guzman had slipped through to reach a network of tunnels was covered with a concrete slab. And so uh, it's listed on the it's INDEP's website. It listed as a casa in uh, Culiacan. It's about 2,800 square feet uh, and located perhaps appropriately in a neighborhood called Libertar, Libertad, or which means freedom. Uh, the government values a two-bedroom home at one hundred and eighty-three thousand dollars. So, somebody in Mexico is going to be living in El Chapo's house pretty soon uh, if they hit this lottery. <laughs> I know that would be awesome. Um, hats off to them for you know for doing something different in Mexico. Um, and I'm sure it's probably a pretty cool house. It's probably got you know plenty of amenities um, if it's a safe house. Um, <laughs> this one here, uh, listeners, is um, out of Purdue University, which I believe Purdue is that's in that's in Indiana, I believe. That's yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. I'm in Muncie. That's a little little bit it's about <laughs> an hour outside of where I live now. Uh, but researchers from Purdue University uh, earn. <laughs> I'm laughing because I said it. I said Purdue, like very country. Uh, people have to go back and listen to that. Forgive us. Like, so here that I'm from Mississippi, but Purdue, I would say that better. Um, that some professors earned the Guinness World Record for an unusual development. They come up with the world's widest paint. Uh, Professor Ruan, uh, mechanical engineering, uh, South, excuse me, from the West Lafayette, Indiana School said the original aim of the project was to create a paint that would reflect sunlight from the building and thereby lower energy usage as a means of fighting climate change. The paint, which incorporates barium sulfite particles, reflects 98.1% of solar radiation, making the paint surface noticeably cooler than surrounding surfaces. 
Ruan and his team found that the process of making the paint reflective had a side effect of making the paint extremely white. Uh, Ruan said that the sulfite was particularly responsible for the color and the usage of differing, of differing particle sizes in the paint caused it to reflect a greater spectrum of sunlight. And like I said, they were awarded the Guinness World Record for this. So um, really cool, um, you know, white is paint and it does help with <laughs> Uh, combating a little bit with climate change by reflecting some of the solar radiation. So uh, I guess we'll need to start using this more often. <laughs> Maybe interesting. The world's whitest paint. Um, interesting. So <clears throat> we'll, we might need some white paint for this next story here. Um, and this is about <laughs> an alleged pizza roll pooper who was apprehended after an Oklahoma grocery store uh, checked their surveillance cameras and found what he did. So what happened here is that uh, a customer named Shirley Wright Johnson had a crappy shopping experience on Wednesday. And this we mean this literally. And so she was shopping and picking up some items at a grocery store in Moore, Oklahoma, with her two daughters when she reached for a bag of frozen pizza rolls. She quickly discovered something else in her hand human excrement and she said quote i pick up a bag of pizza rolls and there's literally shit end quote she said human shit excuse my language someone had defecated inside a supermarket freezer onto a bag of totino's pizza rolls and then covered the mess with another package of treats i'm sorry to laugh but this is just ridiculous um The lady said she grabbed the bag and she felt something smushy on the back. So she turned it over and there it was. And she said, quote, I was upset. I was disgusted. I felt like I was violated. It's not funny, folks, but I'm just trying to imagine someone doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. More police uh, use surveillance video from the scene of the crime. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> they used surveillance video and they did eventually identify the person of interest and he was booked into Cleveland County uh, Detention Center on unrelated charges while the poop probe continues. So uh, be careful when you stick your hand into the freezer in the store. You might find a, a nice surprise on the other side of a pizza rolls bag. <laughs> oh, man. No. <clears throat> man the visual. That probably should have been our last one. Had, had I read through that one, Devin, that would have been our last one. That was that's funny. I um I can't imagine um that happening. My ride home would have been very miserable. Um, too, yes. I, I'm I'm stuck in Muncie, so I used to have to wait about twenty thirty minutes just for the Uber to pick me up. So uh, that would <laughs> that have been fun. <laughs> but this last uh, quick hit, listeners, it's it's. It's not as funny at all, actually. It's it, it, it technically is not funny at all, but it, it was is an interesting story that, that I saw here. Uh, it's about an elderly lady getting body slammed by the police, and it's crazy because this lady, she's you know, her name is Karen, uh, which I'm, it was just funny because I think they just come up with some Netflix series about Karen or whatever. But her name's Karen. Uh, she's 73, and she's got dementia. She lives in Colorado. Um, she was awarded a, a $3 million settlement this year uh, because of local police officers brutally arrested her for allegedly leaving a Walmart without paying her $13 bill. Um, 
crazy, crazy story. Uh, two police officers, Officer Hoop and Jolie, uh, reportedly tackled the elderly woman to the ground and pinned her down during their arrest, causing her injuries such as a dislocated shoulder, broken arm, and bruises. The police officers were caught on tape even laughing as they watched the body camera footage, mocking Garner as she sat in the jail cell without medical care for nearly six hours. Garner's family filed a federal lawsuit against the city of Loveland, as like I said, in Colorado, and its officers claimed that the police department violated her civil rights. The family chose to agree with the settlement, that $3 million, and they're just going to end the lawsuit because, unfortunately, Karen's health is declining. Like I said, she's got dementia, so they don't want to uh, drag her through more and more cases as she's kind of, you know, going through maybe her final moments, who knows. But um, interesting story there, uh, just kind of round up. I know, yeah, I thought we should have ended with yours, Devin. I wish I could have found one that was funnier to replace my last quick hit, but uh, I couldn't find anything. Just had to talk about cops by Slamming and Karen, just. <laughs> I mean, shame on them for tackling her over a thirteen dollar bill. Calm down. Should have just paid it for. I we talked about last week of the um, the girl who was sentenced uh, for like shoving a white teacher. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's just just ridiculous, but. We'll we'll move on <laughs> from that story. That's going to do it for our quick hits, and really for the majority of the show, we just have one more thing to let you know before we go. Uh, so we're going to take another quick break, and we're going to wrap the show up on the other side. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast, hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show. Let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So as always, we like to leave you with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. Uh, so first up, coming up on Tuesday, September 21st, uh, we'll be talking about taxation. I uh, know taxes isn't the sexiest thing, but this particular episode, we will make it interesting, as we always do, despite the topic. And so it's going to be a great one. We have a, a great guest this time. Uh, her name is Kira uh, Roby. Uh, she's from One Voice in Mississippi, and she's going to be talking to us about their new report that's enti- it's titled, who Pays Mississippi? An Overview of State Tax Policy and Racial Equity Impacts. There's going to be some interesting things that come out of this because, you know, we don't talk about taxes often and we don't talk about who actually pays taxes and how much they're paying. And so we actually get to talk about that and maybe some ways we can reform the system. And so that episode, again, is coming out on Tuesday, September 21st, featuring one voice uh, from Mississippi. Her name is Kira Roby. And she's the policy analyst for One Voice. So make sure you tune in for that on Tuesday. And after that, coming up next Saturday, uh, um, September 25th, we'll be talking about all the news from the past week with weekly roundup number 15. Again, that's our chance to bring you the breaking news. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, and so <clears throat> before we go, we also like to let you know there are some ways you can help us out. 
we love it of course when you donate when not when you we love it when you donate but also when you listen to the show uh, but you can actually donate to us um by giving cash or debit card or check <laughs> we have some ways you can give to us and age is gonna let you know what you can do yeah absolutely uh donating is really cool if you can do that um that would be awesome because what it shows is that you really care about what we're doing um because as devlin says it takes money to do the stuff um pie bay now to all that kind of stuff costs money uh, if you go to our website blackagenapie.com click the donate tab you can start giving from there or if you're listening to us in the Podbean app, you can also click on Donate from there. Either way you do it, we'll greatly appreciate it. You can start by giving a dollar, two, three, four, five, whatever you want to do. It's a monthly gift. Uh, as you sign up to be a patron, you'll actually sign up to get a monthly gift from Devin and myself. Um, some of those gifts include shout-outs, thank you notes. Uh, you can do topic suggestions, You know, maybe even appear on the show, different things like that. So... We would love to have your donations. Again, go to blackagenthepie.com and click the donate button and start giving. Uh, aside from being charitable to us, we also like to be charitable to someone else, pay it forward. And for the month of September, we have selected the organization 100 Black Men of America. The mission is to improve the quality of life within our communities and enhance educational and economic opportunity for all African Americans. 100 seeks to serve as a beacon of leadership by utilizing their diverse talents to create environments where children are motivated to achieve and to empower their people to become self-sufficient shareholders in the economic, social, and fabric in the economic and social fabric of the communities they serve. So, uh, great mission from them. Great uh, things that they're doing. Uh, go to their website, check them out. Um, before you give to them. You know, give to us, and then if you got some left over, then you can give to us. <laughs> That's right. Make sure you give to everybody. Everybody can use a little bit of something. Uh, but we can use a little bit more because they they got a good network. So <laughs> give to us first, and then you know any excess can go to them. There you go. There you go. Uh, but yeah, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap this thing up again. Um, we appreciate you when you when you listen and download. We also love it when you follow us on social media. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Agenda Pod is our handle. And again, that's at Black Agenda Pod. And so we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, putting up some great content. Make sure you go follow us and share that, like our pages. Um, you can also find us on YouTube. Um, just search uh, the Black Agenda Podcast. You'll find our catalog um, I'm not sure how many videos. We got a lot of videos up there, a lot of great interviews, conversations about uh, HBCUs, Black history, critical race theory, some really good stuff. Make sure you go back and listen to that in our catalog there on YouTube. Make sure you search the Black Agenda podcast. And so, again, for me and Adrian, we love bringing you the news every single week, and we appreciate you tuning in, listening to us, and supporting us. And so until next Saturday, September 25th, we'll be back with you. So until then, we'll catch you all next time. Music